0: copy of God's Word, and turn with me, please, to the book of Proverbs. book of Proverbs, we're going to be um, going through a number of texts um, this evening, and um, we are getting ready to transition from sort of expositing straight through the first section of the book of Proverbs, and to beginning to look at the book in topical fashion. Part of that is because this is the way the book is built. There's the prologue and then there's the final chapter, which are arguments, if you will. But then in between, the material is presented in subject kind of fashion. It's not necessarily compacted together. Frankly, the book of Proverbs would be a little easier (laughs) to preach if everything on communication was all together. If everything on stewardship and finance, Steve's going to be uh, presenting um, how long, Steve? A couple weeks. weeks. and uh, Otherwise, you just got to gather it all up and see how it makes sense and present it in order that makes sense to us. But I thought that as we move forward, we be prepared to move forward, inspired entirely by Brady's two minutes of walk, walking through real quickly this the fear of the Lord. I wanted to take this up as a transition into considering the book topically. And so before we do that, I wanted to consider the importance and wisdom of fearing the Lord. Now, one of the things about any topic in the book of Proverbs is, is that you're not dealing with everything the Bible has to say on the subject. The fear of the Lord and, and the fearing God is a massive topic, particularly in the Old Testament. The New Testament touches on it, points us in almost entirely to a kind of, of fear of God that is, is, is infused with reverence for Christ and all that he has done in his redeeming work. For us. And so, how do we think about the word fear? We hear that word in in English. They would have heard it in Hebrew. Um, How do you think about that word? Well, you know, there is the word fear. So, as in to be afraid of, to cause, to flee. Um, When I was, oh, five or six years old. We, we, and you know, living in Africa. And uh, we had gone somewhere um dad and i and we came back and uh, we had uh, we had gone into the nearest town so <laughs> the nearest town was 40 miles away but it was a half day drive out and half day drive back and um we bought some nails as i remembered we had a box of nails i was carrying them and um somehow in the garage workshop where the generator was and everything a dog had gotten locked into that so I'm carrying the nails, and I open the door, and this dog attacked and bit me. And so, when I think of fear, I think of my um, hesitation with dogs that I don't know. All right, now I love dogs, and um, uh, but but fear in that sense. And so, my experience has shaped a certain amount of. I don't know you, and I don't know if I trust you. You know, I'm a little afraid. In college, uh, one summer, two summers, I worked for a guy who trained police attack dogs. So here's a guy, me, who's a little hesitant around dogs, and now I'm working on basically a farm. I was farmhand, kept his yard up, and... Shovelled manure and hay and all kinds of stuff, but he had a six-pin kennel, great big thing, with dogs that he was training for the police. So three or four Doberman Pinschers, two German Shepherds. Um, he had an albino German Shepherd, pure white, crystal blue eyes, beautiful dog. Um, oh, still a puppy, still sort of floppy puppy, and dangerous. And you could see it. That dog would stare at me, and it's like, okay, this is not the fear of the Lord. And um, he would, um, yeah. So, uh, watching those dogs, and, and they would, you know, and, and have you ever seen that kind of dog? You know, they, 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 they don't have to move a lot, they just stare at you. Yeah. So, fear, as in to be afraid of, to cause, to flee. And so, does the Bible use that word? We'll talk about it in just a moment. And There's fear as in to cower, to be in a state of anticipated real or imaginary danger. And so um, it, it's that sense of <coughs> not necessarily being afraid because there's a dog, but that sense of just um, being in a place where where there's, there's fear, I'm afraid. Um, we lived in Germany, and I used to travel regularly to Belgium. And um, most of the time, I was getting out of work late, and um, so couldn't catch the 5 o'clock train. So the next train to Germany was ten, eleven o'clock. So I'd have that time. And... Um, one night, I was walking back to pick up my luggage and to check luggage. Can you imagine checking luggage now in a train station? But we could do it back then. Check my luggage, and um, and I was... Someone attempted to steal my man back, you know. And um, um, he was hyped up on drugs and alcohol, and it was crazy. And um, I was thankful for uh, my father's training in boxing to... Just Just keep him from hitting me. Finally, the uh, a Belgian intervene, intervened. And it was in a train station where you walk underneath, and the tracks were overhead, so it was dark, the lights were not bright. And to this day, I'm careful. I like the way I, I talk to myself, right? I'm careful in those kinds of situations. Now, it doesn't keep me from doing what I and going where I need to go and all of that. So it doesn't quite reach the cowering in a state of real or imaginary dangers. But people often live their lives in that kind of fear, right? And it manifests itself in our culture because we're culturally driven a lot of times as as uh, um, anxiety attacks and my, my heart beats fast and all of that. And I just go into some kind of hyper alert state and if you startle me, I'm probably going to take your head off. But... Um, So fear as in to be afraid, to cause to flee, to have something, someone there you're actually afraid of. Fear as in to cower, a state of anticipated real or imaginary danger. It isn't there, but it could be, you know. And then there is the use of the word, primarily used this way in the Bible, of reverence, respect, respect leading to deep submission. Now this is, we often talk about the fear of the Lord and that we reverence Him and we respect Him. What is often missed in those discussions is the connection between that fear of the Lord and our bowing before Him to submit. Not to do so because we're afraid we're going to get hit, but just because He's such a great and glorious God who is worthy of this submission. We respect Him. So there is a fear of God. That is a fear of the one who is standing over us as a just judge. Now we as believers do not stand before God that way because we don't stand before God who is a judge to us. That's all been settled at the cross. We we come to respect and reverence a father who loves us, a father who cares for us, a father who is more concerned for our well-being, spiritually, even physically, than we would ever be because he's concerned about us in a holy, godly, loving way. But the unbeliever, the unbeliever, if he doesn't in this life, will, on the final day, stand before a god And it will be the most frightening thing ever to happen to him or to her. There, on that throne, robed in white, is the sovereign God who made all things and who now will bring me to account for my life, for my deeds, for my doing, for my attitudes, my actions. That... It's the kind of fear to be afraid to cause to flee. This is the wicked fearing God. And then there is the fear of reverence and respect. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, one other thing, the, right, the, the wicked then rightly should fear God, who is in fact dangerous to the rebellious. I'll never forget the sentence in the last of C.S. Lewis's Narnia. And uh, they were talking about Aslan. And Aslan comes and, you know, he, he is not a tame lion. No, he is not. And then there is a fear of God who is mighty and sovereign and great, but rules over us for our good and for his glory. And so that yields respect and reverence. And the result of fearing the Lord in this way, largely... Leads to submission, and that's what we find in these verses. Now, ordering these verses was a little difficult, and so it's a little random, if you will. But let's see how it begins. Uh, turn to Proverbs 1 7. Proverbs 1 7. There's two ways to do this, kind of on a you know, order the verses in an order that makes sense to us. Or to just go through them and watch the way the topic develops through the book. And I almost did that, but then there's two, there's two places where because of the parallel structure of Hebrew, it doesn't make sense, you know. It, it really is top and bottom anyway, more than you wanted to know. How does it begin? Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning... Of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So true knowledge begins with fearing the Lord. Knowledge is not merely the acquiring of information. It is the use of that information to pursue the ends for which God made it. And that is to glorify Himself. And so there is an acquiring of information... There is data processing, if you will, by scientists, for example, in the world, who are not functioning necessarily in the fear of the Lord. But their acquisition of that data, that information, that knowledge, is not leading them to glorify God. In fact, according to Romans 1, it often is in the pro- very process of rejecting the Creator, the knowledge that is acquired is is to reject the fear of the Lord. But true knowledge begins with the fear of Yahweh. Not only is the fear of the Lord the beginning of knowledge, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9 and verse 10. Proverbs 9 and verse 10 text just simply says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now remember, we are dealing with Proverbs, and in dealing with Proverbs, we need to recognize and remember that a lot of times um, these statements are not just direct, you know, he is not saying in the same way he says that um, knowledge of the Holy One is insight. That isn't the same as saying, you know, this is a podium. It's not that kind of direct statement. There's a, an analogy. There's an illusion. There is something deeper, more thoughtful, more to ponder. True wisdom then, that is the deep understanding of God and His world, begins with fearing The Lord. So there is not true wisdom where God is not respected, honored, or bowed to. Therefore, the so called wisdom of the world is actually either pilfered from God or is in itself an illusion. Romans 1 points us to the fact that here gaining all of this knowledge and professing themselves to be wise what they actually do with it is, is they exchange the worship of the true God for the worship of creature and creation and they exchange um, um, and, and professing themselves to be wise they have become fools and it exchanged God's design and purpose in that text for for sex and intimacy into something corrupted and contemptible, but notice here though that is happening because they do not fear as unbelievers a God who will judge them, and that's how Romans two one through three is working, right and for we for us as believers as we look at what is going on in the world and as we gain that true wisdom, because we respect and reverence God, then that knowledge is true as it drives us to worship Him, to praise Him, to submit to Him, to follow Him, to walk in His ways. The next two proverbs are a little more difficult. This is because of the state of being verb is. And so when we hear these two verses, is this a direct statement about what fearing the Lord is? So well, this is a podium. Or is it similar to saying the robin is red? When you hear that, you recognize right away this is the name of something. This is a podium. And the robin is red is not the name of something, it's what? It's a description of something. So when we hear these two Proverbs, we're not looking for this equals that, but rather this is described by, characterized by, shaped like. Proverbs 15, verse 33. Proverbs 15, verse 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Proverbs eight thirteen. Somebody, get there for me, and then read it out loud. Just raise your hand so I know who's who's reading. Somebody. Proverbs eight thirteen. Are you there, brother Roundtree? Go ahead. So, the fear of the Lord is, the fear of the Lord is, the fear of the Lord is instruction, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. These are descriptive in the same way that we can describe a song, a wall, a person. We can do so with words like beautiful, or colorful, or tall. These words describe the fear of the Lord. They describe them in both a positive and negative way. Positively, instruction and wisdom and the right relationship between things are part of what the fearing of the Lord described looks like. Its contours are teaching, and its color is humility. Now, you say, well, that doesn't make sense. In one sense, no. It's supposed to make you pause and think about it. Ponder it. Reflect on it. What does it mean for the fear of the Lord to be described as instruction in wisdom? What does it mean for the fear of the Lord to be described as humility before honor? So the fear of the Lord is characterized by teaching, instruction, communication in the realm of godly wisdom. And I think the second one, as you ponder it, says that the fear of the Lord requires humility. At some sense, that's true, just on its face. To honor and respect God requires that we be humble before Him. But the text actually says that humility comes before honor. And so it's the right relationship of things, it's the right progression of things. It is even a right understanding of redemption and redemptive history. For Christ is humbled. Come to earth in the incarnation and at the cross he goes all the way down to a cross kind of death before he is honored, praised, recognized. So right here in this little phrase, humility comes before honor, brings us to respect a God who has so ordered things that not only must we be humble before him, But where his own son humbled himself before being honored. And sometimes we have that so backwards. So backwards. Secondly, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Here it is stated negatively. Fearing the Lord is characterized by hating what God hates. When we fear the Lord, when we respect him, when we reverence him it looks like the rejection of evil and pride and arrogance and twisted, perverted talking. It is learning to hate what God hates. Now one of the things we need to remember is is that when God hates, He does so not only with passion, but He is not consumed by it. It is thought out, it is, it is careful, it is not irrational, it is not the kind of, fear, of hatred where sometimes we as human beings sinfully hate and we become consumed with the object of our hatred. God is never, never does that. And so if we are going to hate what God hates in the way that God hates it, then we don't focus on it, we don't become consumed by it, And in particularly, what God hates is that which rejects his character. Rejects him. And so we as Christians then notice that it's just very practical things, right? Evil, pride, and arrogance. Even down to twisted, perverted talking. So obviously where the opposite of each of these is, there is no fear of the Lord. Why? Because fear of the Lord, fearing the Lord, shapes our submission. I'm going to come back to that over and over again. See, this carries over into the realms or spheres of authority. Submission is only genuine. Where respect is its driving Motivation. And therefore, we are called on as Christians, even when people or institutions behave unrespectfully. Is there such a word? There is now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they have a, an addendum to the Oxford Dictionary. It's called Russisms. So, so, you know, where, we, if, we, if we do not respect those institutions, we will not submit to them. If we do not respect people in authority, we will not submit to them. And therefore, Ephesians ends with that exhortation to husbands to be sure, see to it that you love your wives. And then the surprising turn, because he does not say, Paul, oh, in that text, wives, see to it that you, what would you expect? yeah you, you submit to you know we would expect since there's loving husbands then we would expect that wives see to it that you submit to your husband's it's not what he says what does he say respect to respect and so Paul maybe even working out of what we see in the book of proverbs recognizes that the biblical root of submission is respect and honor but in order to honor and to be honored, humility must go before it. So what does it require? What are its prerequisites? Proverbs chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. We've already looked at these somewhat in depth, so I'm going to just point to them. Proverbs 2, verses 3 to 5. Beginning sort of in the middle of a sentence. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. You see the if, then. If you do this, call out. If you seek. If you pursue. If you search. Then what is it that is found? understanding the fear of the lord now that's not what you would expect right if you call out for insight you want understanding you hunt for these because they're valuable then what you expect is is that you're going to have insight you're going to have but what happens though is is that that true knowledge that insight gives us brings us to understand what it means to reverence and respect the lord and find the knowledge of the holy, the knowledge of God. Understanding comes through seeking and pursuing and going after it as something to be valued. It is a treasure. It is pursued. And so when we pursue knowledge and insight, we pursue to know God. One of the things that we will find in that pursuit is an understanding of what it means fear the lord what does it provide proverbs 14 verse 26 proverbs 14 verse 26 in the fear of the lord one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge now here's a paradox You would not expect to have confidence when in fear. In fact, the two are usually held in our minds as opposites. People are afraid to speak publicly because they have no confidence. The fear of man is driving them, not the fear of the Lord. And yet... To reverence and respect the Lord gives strong confidence. To honor Him. To respect Him. Fearing the Lord is the place of sureness, confidence, and is the place of safety. Now here, in in the context, is talking about the Father. And so... The father then who reverences the Lord, his children will find in him and in the Lord, but even in their fathers, a refuge. A refuge, a place of safety, a place of security. And so as fathers, as grandfathers, as even leaders in the church, how important it is That we reverence and respect the Lord in a way that our hearts are poised to submit to him. So that our children, our grandchildren, those who we are discipling, those who are under our care, they are safe. A place of safety. Proverbs 1, verses 29 through 31. Proverbs 1, verses 29 through 31. Could I have somebody read that for me, please? Proverbs one verses twenty nine to thirty one. Because they needed knowledge and did not choose to serve the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way, and their fill of their own devices. Once again, that connection between Choosing not to fear the Lord. And therefore, what you see here is a hatred of knowledge. There is rebellion. There is a lack of submission. So here is a descriptor. This is what it looks like when you choose not to fear God. So it's not only the characteristics. They they hated knowledge. They did not choose. They would have none of my counsel. They won't listen to God. They despised even when God corrected them through the disciplines of life. The word reproof. What's the consequence? They'll eat the fruit of their way. And they'll have, full, they will have their fill of their own devices. Interesting words. I think a lot in the Proverbs that when you have this eating the fruit of, the, uh, of their way the consequences i think there's an allusion to the garden and so when eve takes the fruit in disobedience because she does not reverence god she does not respect his word and she takes heed to the counsel of satan and she eats and then they will and then the fruit of their way The result of it. But then that leads us into the New Testament. Where the word fruit is often spoken of as the outworking. It's the harvest of our hearts. And our way of thinking. And our way of wanting. So here is the problem then. Without the fear of the Lord. And the wisdom and knowledge and correction and insight it brings. One is on a path of self-destruction. Cannot rebel against God. You cannot live. um, Unsubmissive to God. Without dreadful consequence. Proverbs 16 verse 6. By steadfast love and faithfulness. Iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord. One turns away. From evil My comment here is just that the fear of the Lord is also wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has paid for our sins and causes us then to turn away from evil. At the time it was written, it would have been heard differently. By steadfast and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. The word "atonement" here means to cover. It would have pointed them to the mercy seat. Inside the tabernacle, inside the Holy of Holies. Over which the cherubim hovered. In which um, the, the high priest went once a year and sprinkled the sacrifice. For an atonement, a kafar, a covering for sin. And so God's steadfast love and faithfulness. God covered over, God made provision Even for the sins of Jewish people and Gentile people before the cross. He made provision for it. Now that Christ has died and that his blood, his life has been poured out. Our sins are no longer covered. Our sins are cleansed. They're washed away. And instead of blood sprinkled on the mercy seat in a physical building in the, old t- in, in the old covenant, Jesus Christ himself is said to be seated on the throne of mercy. He is our propitiation. He is the one who stands between. He is the one who has paid for our sin. He is the one who has washed it all away. Thank God that our sins are not just covered. Otherwise we're under the law. Otherwise we're in the old covenant. Otherwise there's still beasts to be slain and animal blood to be shed. But no, 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 no. It's all gone. Don't even have the, the Ark of the Covenant anymore. The temple has been destroyed. The tabernacle was was replaced. It's all gone. Why? Because it's aged and got old? No. Because Jesus has come. And by steadfast love and faithfulness, while God had provided for the Old Testament saints, by that very love and faithfulness, God has provided for those of us who are in the New Covenant. But, that very love and faithfulness, by reverencing and respecting the Lord, turns us, has the capacity, the power to cause us to turn away from evil. Why? Because, to reverence, to respect, leads to submission. It leads to holiness. It leads to righteousness. What a a great verse. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. And there is just basically a, a summary of redemption, isn't it? The Lord has paid for, has taken away our sin. And the Lord has set us on a path. Where as we respect and reverence Him, we fear Him then we will walk in his ways and turn away from evil. And what is it worth? Proverbs 15:16 Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure in the trouble with it. And here is the operative word. Better that's an evaluative word. That is a discerning word, a word of discernment. This is better. I, I I'm learned over the years, uh, and, and, and you know, people will okay, "Do you like this better than that? Do you like this food better than this? Do you like this restaurant better than this?" I don't generally function through life that way. Maybe I'm just undiscerning and uninsightful about food and those kinds of things. And yes, Byron is better than everything. I'm joking. Well, no, not really. But you do have to stop and say, do we agree with both sides of this? That it is better to have the fear of the Lord and little... That is better than to have all this treasure and all the trouble that comes with it. Frankly, most of us will tolerate the trouble that comes with the treasure. Why? Well, we don't believe the truth of this proverb. And finally, the fear of the Lord, the wisdom of fearing the Lord, in that it leads to real life. Listen to these verses and look at all the aspects of the true life, the real life, the fear of the Lord leads to. In Proverbs 14, verse 27, it is spoken of as a fountain of life. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. That one may turn away from the snares, the traps of death, the fountain of life. In Proverbs 19.23, it leads to life. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. The fear of the Lord Is the beginning of life. It is the fountain of life. It is the source of life. To reverence and respect God. Leads to this. Flowing up of life. And it leads to true living. In Proverbs 10.27. It prolongs life. The fear of the Lord. Prolongs life. But the years of the wicked. Will be cut short. Now. We can easily read that in terms of human life. That the wicked, their human life will be cut short, will be made shorter. But those who fear the Lord will live longer lives. And and yes, that's probably how it would have been heard in the Old Testament at the time this was written. There's something more here. Just as there is something more to ponder and to reflect on. See, respect and reverence for the Lord leads to, prolongs eternal life. It gives us a life beyond this life. But the years of the wicked will be short. Why? Because it is confined to this life. And so it provides life, is the fountain of life, and it prolongs life because it connects us to the eternal life of God. And therefore, an exhortation. Proverbs twenty three seventeen. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. What a concluding word. Don't envy sinners. Instead, continue on in reverencing and respecting the Lord. And do so all the day. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Truly live in the fear of the Lord with reverence and respect. And please don't hear this in some kind of fake religious piety, you know, You come to church and you sit with folded hands and and there is a a sort of pious look on your face and now you reverence God. Don't also equate it with certain kinds of singing and stained glass. That's, That's not it. All those external things are merely external things. And so sometimes people can sit in these kind of reverent environments and be totally irreverent in their hearts. Their minds are elsewhere. They're going through the motions. It's not real. Or you can be in a very different kind of worship and even life experience and live with real reverence before God. Truly live in the fear of the Lord with reverence and respect. And work out the fear of the Lord in your daily life, particularly when it comes to submission and obedience. Everyone lives in some sphere of submission and obedience. Everyone. If nothing else, we all live under God. All of us then we're given other spheres of authority in which respect should lead to a certain amount of submission that is a proper within that sphere and never forget who the lord is to us our redeemer and ruler our lord jesus christ the one that we can reverence and respect and submit our souls to The one who has redeemed us and brought us to himself. The one who has satisfied God. The one who rules over us. Grace, goodness, and glory. There's great wisdom in fearing the Lord. Let's pray. Father, please... Help us to think carefully about these things. Press them deeply upon our hearts. that We might truly fear that we might truly respect and reverence you in a way that is a fountain of life in our souls that brings us to the true life, causes us to live in eternity. Make this so. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me.